Hey, everybody, welcome to the Spain and Fitz podcast. Be sure to stick around after the elements from our regular show for a little after party today. We'll get into uh, some NBA season stuff, some NHL, and a very important remake. Spain and Fitz on ESPN Radio and the ESPN app. Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz, presented by Progressive Insurance. All of our guests join us on the Shell Penzo Performance Line. We're taking you up to Game 6 of the World Series tonight. Coverage, of course, on ESPN Radio begins at 7.30 p.m. Eastern Time. In the meantime, Sarah, it was only 24 hours ago that you you, you had joy. I had joy with you. I felt really good about <sighs> it. I, you know what? This it, it's, it's my fault. I just want to start by saying it's my fault. I picked the Bears on the Digital Monday Night Football Preview Show, and I got a little cocky about being undefeated over the weekend, thought I'd busted my slump. And then the Bears had a, had, had a night, let's just say it that way. So oh, I, they I blame me. didn't have a night. Yeah, they no? didn't have a night. The Rams defense <laughs> had a night. Uh, it was bad, Fitz. And it's funny because I had just asked that poll question about whether it's worse to not appreciate a season that comes out of the blue and that was unexpected and realize that you wasted all the time you could have been appreciating it, waiting for the other shoe to drop, or if it was worse to have high expectations and be disappointed. Well, um, I guess I should have been a little bit happier about the beginning of this Bears season because if last night was any indication, I might not get a lot more to cheer for. Um, But at the same time, they had a brutal, terrible, awful, ugly, hideous loss to the Colts. And bounce back with a win over the Bucks and some positive play against the Panthers and another win. So maybe this is a team that just really didn't match up well with the Rams. I still don't think the Bears are great, but I'm trying to be optimistic that a couple other teams coming down the pipe are probably teams that they can still beat. And so I'm going to do what I told everyone else to do last night, which is try to appreciate that they are still outperforming my expectations for this year because I didn't think they were going to have a winning record. You guys can be a part of Spain and Fitz Nation on the Dr. Pepper Twitter feed, ESPN Nation, presented by Dr. Pepper. It's official. College football's back. So is your favorite Dr. Pepper-loving college football town, Fansville. Head to a store near you to treat your inner college football fan to an ice-cold 20-ounce Dr. Pepper today. And, you know, at some point we look around and we try and figure out what's wrong with the Bears' offense there. And, you know, there's this moment where— We have been for decades. I mean, it feels like it's a generational conversation, right? Like— how do you fix the Bears' offense? But there's been different coaches and different GMs and different players. Like, it's a fair thing. Matt Nagy was supposed to do that, and watching last night was painful, I think, partially because of that. Well, yeah. I mean, the, the problem is is that you have these moments where there's some bit of hope that gets you excited where you think that they might be turning a corner. And, and then, you know, we had Jeff Dickerson on last night, and I kind of questioned him when he said, I don't know that Foles is that much better than Mitchell Trubisky, and I I, I would kind of pushed back on that. I, I think he's smarter, and, and, and Nagy trusts him a little bit more, but he has no legs, and we know that Mitch can scoot. And so in a game like last night where they're putting pressure on him and Aaron Donald's breathing down his neck and that defense is giving him no time to react, it's most notable and, and and very visible that he that he can't get the heck out of the way. And Greg McElroy, ESPN football analyst, was on Get Up talking about how the sort of statue quarterback is on its way out. And if they're going to continue to have Nick Foles as their starting quarterback, they got to influx some some creativity. And if you look at the other side, they're doing nakeds, they're doing boots because Nick Foles is a dying breed. The statuesque, immobile quarterback is a thing of the past because last night. The way Foles was just stationary in the pocket, they're not going to be able to beat top-level, top defense, top pass-rushing teams, and that's what they're going to see in the playoffs. So 
Ultimately, they got to get things figured out or they need to really strongly consider going to the more mobile option of their two quarterback options. And, and so I that's hear the thing that, at the Sarah, end there. But at the end there, right? That the idea that they should switch. I just don't know if I agree with that. While I do think that the immobility is a big issue, I don't think that Mitch is the answer. I I, I was hoping he would be, but the decision-making and the inability to hit targets was brutal. And Foles may not be great, but to me, he's certainly been more accurate on the plays that work. Well, and, and this becomes that point where when you start a revolving door, it feels like everybody's one foot out the door. If they go back to Mitchell Trubisky, then they're just suddenly chasing their tails as a team. And I have to wonder how much the seat gets sort of sizzling hot under Matt Nagy because there is an expectation that this offense was going to be better. This defense is I just, all world, I don't see so. that. I know a lot of people are really hating on Matt Nagy. I think it would be surprising for the Bears two years ago. And I know a lot of that was the defense and, and that was not his you know, rain. But I, I think two years ago, he's the AP coach of the year. We see really creative play calling and they make things work on the offensive side. Um, I don't know if it's regression from Mitch that prevents him from being able to get creative like he was before, but I don't know that it's a, it's a, it's a good answer to just immediately get rid of a guy that I think showed a lot of promise because the recent coaches the bears have had have not been good, really bad. Yeah, I don't, I, I don't, I don't advocate moving on unless you've got a really good answer in the wings. I don't disagree with that. I think when, when you become indecisive at the quarterback position, which is how flip-flopping is perceived so often, then they're, they're, it feels like somebody's losing control. So I think that's part of why whenever we see a coach at any level become indecisive about their quarterback, we suddenly question their job status, right or wrong. And, and, but I'm with you. I mean, I don't think it's as simple as suddenly, you know, do we believe that if Matt Nagy were not the coach and somebody else was the coach that Mitchell Trubisky would have progressed better or that Nick Foles would look different? I'm not sure I can say that, right? So, you know, there, there's, a, there's a fine line between trying to figure out whether it's a talent issue or a coaching issue. But either way, the biggest point that you made earlier is still the real one. This is a Bears team that still has every possible shot at the playoffs. It's just an ugly loss along the way. It's Spain and Fitz on ESPN Radio. The other thing, obviously, we are getting ready tonight for the World Series. Uh, and, you know, I feel like every time the, the nail has gone into the coffin and everybody just presumes the Rays are dead in this series, there's some miraculous way that it, it comes back and it's not the case. So I'm not sure what to expect tonight, but it definitely feels like, frankly, the, the, the Rays have the opportunity in this matchup. It feels like they have the opportunity to get the upper hand on the pitching side, Sarah. Yeah, and uh, I think, you know, we're going to get into whether there's any benefit to finishing it now. I mean, of course there's a benefit, but I mean, it, how big of a deal is it if they can't finish tonight and they end up in a Game 7 situation as a team that really, uh, I think the puckering would be pretty serious. Um, uh, Jeff Passett, ESPN LB analyst, talked about um, how the Dodgers have put themselves in a great position with Gonsolin tonight because they know they can count on a good arm tomorrow. If they get three innings out of Tony Gonsolin tonight, then they're going to be in great shape because the Dodgers' bullpen is rested. He's got almost all of his arms at his disposal. And most of all, guys, they have Walker Buehler ready for Game 7 on full rest. And that's the thing. Had the Dodgers gone into this game down 3-2, to two, it would be a completely different scenario. Dave Roberts, their manager, would have an incredible decision on his hands. Do you start Buehler on short rest or not? He doesn't have to make that decision now, so the Dodgers are sitting pretty. They can win tonight and lock up their first World Series since 1988, or they can go into, into tomorrow with arguably the best pitcher in October alive.
Is that enough, Fitz, uh, that, that confidence in Walker Bueller, or is it potentially the worst possible scenario for this Dodgers team that's been on the brink so many times to go to seven when anything can happen, when every error or whiff or missed play can feel like, oh, my God, I'm going to be the guy that they're going to talk about that did it this time and prevented him from winning this time? Yeah, I mean, I don't care if I got Superman on the mound for game seven. I'm, <laughs> I'm turning around saying I don't want to get there. I mean, there's just a spot where the organization's inability, and, and this is what I said going into this series, Sarah, is that all the mental pressure was going to be on the Dodgers, and we knew that. So the longer the series goes, I think the more chance there is that everybody gets a little puckered up, you know, and, and that's, I, that's human nature when you're part of a franchise that's been to this series before and not been able to get it done, right? That's human nature when you hear the constant questions about the inability to win the big one for the Dodgers and, and really for Dodgers fans. I wouldn't wish a game seven on my worst enemy that's a Dodgers fan at this point because, my God, their hearts can't handle it. It's been <laughs> too much. If they're going to get it, yeah. get it now, Sarah. Yeah, I agree with ESPN. you, and I – I also just want to say quickly that what we've seen from the Rays means that there's like this crazy wild energy there. And there's something about a game seven and that upstart underdog team. That's especially scary. It's a sad Tuesday here at Spain and Fitz. I'm just not even talking about Fitz, just myself. It was a rough one last night on Monday night football. I had so much hope and I appreciate you guys trying to make me feel better. Especially folks hitting us up on the Dr. Pepper Twitter feed. News from Spain and Fitz Nation from Joy at PHL Phillyist. They're there. It's going to be okay. Look on the bright side. The Bears could be playing like the Cowboys. And you know what? That's a good point, Joy. I need to remember that there are still people out there that root for the Jets or the Cowboys. (laughs) It's a good way to make myself feel better about the Bears last night. It's Spain and Fitz. Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz, ESPN Radio, ESPN app. Joining us now. Our colleague on ESPN, Tim Tebow, Allstate and the AFCA recently announced the 2020 Allstate AFCA Good Works team. It's also National Membership Day. So ESPN College Football Analyst Tim Tebow, also on this SEC network, is a part of all this. Just did a call uh, with some folks on his Insta earlier. Let's start with the National Mentorship Day stuff, Tim. Uh, Who's been your biggest mentor in life? Oh, my goodness. My biggest mentor. um, I've had so many, probably my dad, but. Um, you know, just so fortunate to have so many people that have been able to speak into my life and encourage me. And I think one of the biggest things about being a mentor is you, you um, provide that support that when young people think I can't to encourage them to, I can. And, you know, I want to encourage all the listeners today that they could be that bright light for people that can encourage people. You know, one of the biggest things about being a mentor is you create that belief in them, that support. You put your arm around them, and so they believe that I can accomplish something. And so many of the worries and the doubts go to the back of their mind because the belief goes to the front. And so, you know, for us, that's so much about um, what today is about, about National Mentoring Day. And all of us have the opportunity to make that difference, to come alongside of them and and really create that belief in their life that they um, can accomplish, accomplish something special. They can make a difference and they, they truly can go after their dreams. And um, that's something that, you know, we really care about. And that's why today's been super fun. Tim, uh, obviously we appreciate it. And that's great work that you're doing. Uh, you're listening to Tim Tebow on Spain and Fitz. Uh, got to ask you a couple of college football questions while we got you. And of course, Defense in the SEC has been weird this year. It's been bad, according to many people. What's been wrong in your eyes watching the games with defenses in the SEC? Well, I think there's just there's so much change with everything that's happened this year. 
is I think the defenses are just a little behind. Um, they haven't been able to create the same chemistry, have the same practices. And I, if I probably had to point it to the biggest reason, it's because a lot of teams hasn't, haven't had the ability to be physical in practice because of social distancing. So they haven't had contact. They haven't had scrimmages. They haven't had Oklahoma drills. They haven't been physical. And so I think while there's a million things you could point to, I think that's probably um, one of the bigger factors. Um, which is going to be interesting because obviously it hasn't been a problem for some teams like Georgia, but it's been a huge problem for others. And so, you know, I think one of the bigger questions we really have to ask is um, from, from now on, who's going to be able to adapt and change and grow and learn and, and not create the same mistakes twice because we've seen even the best teams haven't looked good. Um, you know, there's been moments where Alabama, Ole Miss went, ran all over them. Um, Clemson hasn't looked great. I guess the one team that, um, that hasn't shown a weakness is, is Ohio State, but they've only played one game. So, you know, I think it, it's open right now for a lot of people to kind of seize this season in college football, which I also think makes it super exciting. I don't disagree with you there, Tim. And Wisconsin is one of those teams that I was actually really excited to watch. But now, obviously, they have no idea what their quarterback situation is going to be or if they'll even play their game. They have a legit path to the playoffs. So when you think about the playoff committee, how should they adapt in this COVID world to figure out how to judge teams that may play such staggeringly different numbers of games or resumes? I think it's a really good question. I really do. I think it's one of the bigger questions of this year. And if I was um, part of it and encouraging it, I would say that it has to go down to the eye test and truly evaluating at the end of the year, who are the four best teams? It can't go on um, uh, an even strength of record. It can't go – I mean, that has to play into it, but it can't go on, on, on your record on, okay, these guys are 8-2 and two and these are 7-3. and three. Yeah, but if you're in different conferences and some teams are playing eight games, some teams are playing 11, some teams are playing – you know, if you're in the SEC West, you're going to be playing four or five ranked teams, and if you're in other conferences, you might play one. And so it's so hard to evaluate that way where I, I believe you have to go on the eye test of who do you believe is the four best teams and the four hottest teams at the end of the year, because that's what we've said in college football. It's going to be the four best teams. And so that's what I want to see. And if it's four teams from power five conferences, that's awesome. But if it's also could be a, a Cincinnati, which I don't have them in the top four right now, but if it could be, then we should give a team like that a shot um, whenever the time's right. And so I truly believe that, you know, I hope the committee does what I believe would be right in choosing the four best teams. We're talking to Tim Tebow here on Spain and Fitz on ESPN Radio, the ESPN app, Sirius XM, Channel 80. You're also a baseball player, and I know you didn't get to play this season because of COVID and the way it affected uh, the both major and minor leagues, but I'm wondering if you're paying attention to this World Series and what you think of what you've seen so far. Um, I For sure, I'm paying attention, and what I've seen so far is, holy cow, how is there so many good relievers? Like, why is there so many – amazing lefties you know i'm a lefty so i don't like <laughs> necessarily facing lefties and why is there so many lefties that throw 95 and above it's like holy cow i mean the talent now is ridiculous and you know what i've loved is i love um both of these teams battling and you look at the rays and you know i mean they're you know they weren't supposed to be here but they're battling and they play together and they play with heart and they're so tough and i love it i think this is you know it's awesome you have a a huge market team against a small market team and both of them found a way to get here. And it's just an awesome series. I love it. 
Yeah, and in the meantime, your team, the Mets, going through a massive ownership overhaul, and there were those rumors about A-Rod and J-Lo. You and A-Rod are, are colleagues here at ESPN, so it, there was the possibility that your ESPN colleague would kind of be your boss, your owner on that team. What about the Mets' ownership? Are you are you uh, at all involved or keeping tabs on that transfer of power? Um, I am zero involved, and <laughs> I have not been paying super close attention um, because it's just I'm not involved. So, you know, try not to, you know, worry about things you can't control or you're not even a part of. So, you know, I just focus on a lot of other things, and um, I've loved the opportunity I've had with the Mets. It's been so fun playing and, you know, pursuing that dream, and it's been a blast. And, you know, the ownership has been amazing to me, and, and the GMs have been amazing. and and loved everything about my time with them and, and what they've given. So I, you know, the, the Wilpons have been um, amazing and, and kind people every time I've been around them. And I'm, you know, grateful to have that friendship and, um, you know, hopefully, um, you know, there's great things in the future for the Mets. Well, the main reason we're talking to you, Tim, is obviously because the AFC, a good works team, and uh, that includes a lot of players. So I, I guess when you look at those guys that you're now having the opportunity to see take this step, including Trevor Lawrence, what do, what's your relationship with those players like as a mentor for them? Well, I'll tell you what. I think so many of them have already had amazing mentors, and I wouldn't even say I'm a mentor for them. I just kind of get to serve alongside of them and you know, what's unfortunate this year with COVID is we haven't had to, had the chance to do a lot of our service projects, but every other year we have service projects throughout the year and it gets to work literally um, side by side with these guys and see the impact firsthand that they make. And just so proud of them. Cause I mean, I just got off the phone with Teton Saltes from New Mexico and this young man is trying to get ready for his senior year of football where he's living out a dream, but he's also, I mean, are we kidding? He's, he's, He's part of a suicide hotline where he's um, getting on there for, for kids that have been bullied and, and encouraging them that they don't have to commit suicide. And he's, he's working in um, reservations and he's bringing food and medical equipment to people in need and working with special needs kids. And this is just one of the 22. And it's like, man, that story is amazing. What he's doing is awesome. We need to talk about it. We need to write about it. We need to share it because he needs to inspire the next generation of people that they can go after their dreams, but they can also change a lot of lives in the process and proud of him and all the team. But that's what it's about. One of the other uh, good works team members is Trevor Lawrence, obviously has done a ton, not just on the field. I'm wondering if you've heard the sort of whispers about whether he might decide to return to college for another year instead of going to the Jets. You obviously were a first round draft pick. Uh, can you imagine being in the position he's in where so many are saying perhaps delay the dream just in case? What do you think he's uh, talking to his, his mentors and family and friends about right now? Well, I think it's a, it's a huge decision, obviously. Um, I really believe he loves his time at Clemson, but it's also um, it is a risk to come back. I mean, there's, there's risk reward on both sides, but if I'm Trevor, I really sit down and, and pray about it, talk to wise counsel, and get a great team to evaluate the situation um, because I, I also really do believe that um, that succeeding in the NFL also has a lot to do with where you're at and the situation mm -hmm. you're at. And, yeah. and is there a, 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 um, an organization that has unity that will put good players around you? I don't care how talented you are. You go to the wrong place without talent and support around you, it's going to be really hard to succeed. And, um, and so I think it's important for him to evaluate everything and really take it all into account and then, you know, listen to everyone and then truly, truly decide based on what's on his heart. Well, maybe he should call you.
I know you ended up with the Jets. We'll see. He he off the record. He could ask you what you felt about your time there. Yeah, that that didn't that didn't go that didn't go real well though. Yeah, yeah, well, good. off the record. We'll see how you felt about. It. Um, thanks for the time too. Yeah, I don't know. Uh, I, just, I pretty much just wore a jersey and stood on the sidelines. So, uh, thanks for the time. Uh, good luck with the rest of the uh, Allstate AFCA Good Works team stuff you got going on today. Thanks for spending some time with us. Of course. Appreciate you guys. Thank you so much. Hey, everybody. It's a little Spain and Fitz after party. A couple of things we wanted to get to. We've had a lot of bumped shows and short shows, and we haven't really talked, Fitz, about what the sports landscape is going to look like going forward. We had months of nothing. Then we had the sports apocalypse. And now we're nearing what feels like it's going to be predominantly college football, NFL, maybe college basketball players, depending on what that season might look like. And we won't have the usual rhythms of waiting for the NBA to start and the NHL to start at their regular time. It's kind of strange to try to figure out what what we can expect and when, when we don't even know exactly when the season's going to start yet. Well, and then let's couple that. And you and I, I think, have, have tried to have very reasonable, fair conversations about the role that COVID plays in everything uh, in the world right now. And when you start thinking about what we could be looking at January, February, I mean, uh, we have no idea if people will be essentially out and about and how the world will be working at that point. So you, in my mind, I keep thinking about like Connecticut winter, which is already a dark, dark spot for people <laughs> to be in. Right. So you, you couple that into the isolation that is winter in general without some of the usual escapism that we're used to. I think people are going to get really stir crazy uh, depending on how all of this works out, but they have to do it the right way for the athletes. I mean, you, you can't just bump these seasons without figuring out how to get the next season underway in a safe way for players' bodies and their minds and how they get the, the, everything sort of rolling. So how do you limit the effect of the scheduling change but also get as many games played as possible? Like, I think people have forgotten that we're not out of the woodworks on this stuff. Yeah, I, I agree with that. I think I am trying not to be negative, but looking at the increasing cases across our country, the anticipated worsening with the flu season and people being indoors and everything else. Um, I'm still wondering how the NFL and other teams that are playing or leagues that are playing right now are going to continue and whether it will get more difficult to prevent the spread from affecting their ability to actually, you know, play in, in, in a season with integrity. So to start a season in the middle of it, you would have to think it would be another bubble for the NBA. Right. And that the cost of that alone um, is exorbitant. Well, and not only that, but then think about what the bubble was in its first iteration and how, you know, we heard players openly talking about the mental fatigue that was mm -hmm. caused by it. And that's for a short bubble. What do you do if they come in and say, okay, we're all just going to live in this bubble for the next seven months, eight months? I mean, yeah, like, it wouldn't that, happen. It that, doesn't they feel can't, realistic. I don't think they would do it. And I'm, there was a great exit piece from uh, the NHL that I think uh, Greg Wyshynski and Emily Kaplan did interviewing a bunch of anonymous players about what it was like, the promises given to them by the league that maybe they didn't feel met up to the standards they were promised. The, and almost all of them to a man said, they're not doing a whole season in that. Like they would they would maybe playoffs or a certain uh, amount of time, but it was just it was just too much to, to imagine going right back into that. And I would say the same for the NBA right now. They're planning for a pre-Christmas Day start and a 72-game regular season. That would make the season finish before the Olympics, which I think is a big part of them trying to figure out how to get all this fit in. That's still a pretty short offseason and free agency period fits um, and a pretty short amount of time for players who just came out of the bubble to get themselves together. It almost feels like it'd be the beginning of this season is what they just did in the bubble instead of the end of the one that started almost a year ago. Um, but we already heard 
Danny Green, uh, who just came off a title with the Lakers, uh, tell the Ringer NBA show podcast, you know, with a lot of vets on their team, probably be guys like him and LeBron and other vets that would sit out the first month of the season just to, you know, get get themselves right before the season really starts to count uh, after after going nearly 365 days from start to finish of the last year. Yeah, and, and then think about, like, what that means for the future of the sport. I'm such a big believer that once certain things are out of the bag, they can't be put back in. So in a, in a sport that also talks already talks about load management so much, can you imagine a world where it's like, hey, uh, we've signed all these big-name stars. They're not going to play for the first three months of the season because we believe we can make the playoffs mm. without them, and then we're just going to bring in the guys. Like, I'm not saying that's an inevitability, but the, everything right now is precedent, right, and some sort of a case study on what will work for guys and their bodies. So uh, I, I find all of that to be really intriguing to think, when do we get back to normal? How do we get back to normal? And even when we get back to normal, will normal look the same? As strange as that sounds, I don't think it will. I, I mean, I, I don't think that rosters are going to be reduced again in the NFL because once you've done this where you've expanded practice squads and things like that, then, you know, people will get used to it and suddenly you just find a reason to keep it. So I, I don't know when the sports calendar or the sports landscape will look the way we're used to, if ever. Yeah, and on the NHL side, they're still evaluating the options for the beginning of another restart. And it sounds like the whispers are that they might sacrifice parts of the season if it means they can get some of it with fans in the stands. That's something the NBA was looking at, too. What should they prioritize, number of games or amount of games that might actually have attendance? Um, it's, it's, it's wild in part because, Fitz, there's such an institutional knowledge element to sports, right? You can bring over the 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 rhythms and the and the understanding and the timing every year of this is when training camp starts and right around now is when we usually have playoffs and right around now is when we kind of transition into paying more attention to the NBA and all of that's been blown up and so it, I, sometimes something will just pop into my head and I'll be like oh yeah that happened I I completely forgot that you know Jason Kidd is you know coaching the Nets. <laughs> God, you are so I mean, right. Like, like is, we haven't even talked about it. Like it, for a second there, like, I was like, is that right? Is it Jason Kidd? In the, yeah, that's right. Like, I can't keep track because like we're not in our rhythms when we're used to talking about things. I, I feel like we're going to need like they have on TV shows that have been gone for a while when they come back and, and uh, you know, after their midseason break and they have that catch up for the first three. Steve Nash, Steve uh, Nash, not Jason Kidd. I just said Jason Kidd four times and it's Steve Nash who's coaching the Nets. And My brain is broken. Is, I didn't even correct you. You didn't because, even correct no, me. It's just all it's all mush right now. I mean, my mind's not around NBA coaches today, Sarah. Come on. No. <laughs> but I mean that but that speaks to the point. I mean, uh, there is a rhythm to all of this that is just it it's gone. And and I am curious because the one benefit I think that's come. I was talking to uh, one of our affiliates in Utica today, New York, and they asked uh, what out of Everything that Major League Baseball did during this this weird 2020, what do I think should stick going forward? I thought it was a great question, and I immediately said the shortened season. I know it's not that simple, but because the season was so short, I feel like people paid more attention to every single game. They did matter more. And, you know, I'm not, I, I'm not naive. There's so much money at stake. It's hard to imagine a league doing that. But for the NBA, the NHL, for Major League Baseball, for teams that have very long regular seasons – I wonder if after a year or two of constantly shifting things, they'll just come to a spot where they realize that less games can actually be more impactful. Like I, we, we just have no idea what long-term leagues will end up doing because of what they learned in 2020. Yeah, it's 
It's pretty wild. And I think one of the most difficult things is that when big plans were being made in the spring, there was a real belief that we would be past most of this um, and that we would have a pretty clear summer fall. And then we'd have to wonder what things would look like in the winter again. And instead, we never flattened the curve. We're basically just in a third wave, although I guess wave is a better word because it never really subsided. It ebbed a little bit. But um, the decisions being made now are for the next couple of months, which, according to a lot of projections, are numbers skying. And that's a, that's a lot more difficult than maybe even if they were incorrect at guessing in the spring, there was a lot of optimism. I don't know that there's a lot of optimism about what things are going to look like for the next couple of months. You know, and when you say that, the first thing I think about is the fact that we haven't learned. Like, if you went back and you looked at it, and I will never forget, I was hosting the Daily the night the NBA shut down. And we had to come in and, and tape an episode at like 2 in the morning because everything is shut down and it was total chaos. And at the time, you're totally right. The conversation was, hey, we'll get out of this quickly. It, it, we'll figure it out. No worries. And then a few months later, it was, well, we're not there yet, but don't worry, right around the corner. And then a couple months after that, hey, it's right. And here we sit again saying, oh, well, don't worry about it. We'll get March Madness this year. Like, I, without being, you know, Donnie Downer here, you're like, I, I took a, a man's name there. Yeah, I've learned nailed it. There. Uh, without being Donnie Downer here, like, I do want to look at it and say, hey, at some point we have to learn from our past mistakes. And at some point we have to look at all of the presumption that things are just going to return to normal, realize how many times we've been wrong and start preparing for things not to return to normal so that we're actually prepared for every single scenario and it doesn't feel like even as a sports community we're doing that Mm -mm. not at all uh this has been a depressing after party wow uh we just took this party down i guess the only thing i can say to make us all feel better is that the remake of saved by the bell looks good like i was prepared to rip on it and say we do not need you to remake something that was perfect the first time around but then I watched it and I thought to myself, wait a minute, they're going to bring up and mock their own wealth. There's going to be people of color other than Lisa Turtle. There's I mean, there's so many elements of this. They they have enough of a budget, as someone pointed out, to have more than one hallway in the school. There's so much to look forward to. Yeah, I'm, I'm all in on this. And look, I am fully in. Like, I get a little, you know, I get a little, I feel a little jealous left out sometimes. Uh, so many of our coworkers are big into The Bachelor. I never got into it. And I see all these, you know, great uh, tweets from everybody and watch parties for everything. And like, I've tried to create that for Below Deck, but I've realized that not, not everybody <laughs> has the you same and Jamel Hill. <laughs> uh, yeah, it's just me and Jamel on this. But I, I, I will say this, like, this feels like the one I saw enough of our peers going for it that I feel like we're going to have something here. Like, there's a there's a uh, alcohol Zoom event around uh, a watch party of Say by the Bell that I feel like needs to happen. Ooh, that's a very good idea. Look at very this. good idea. I just want to be in with the cool kids. That's all, sir. Okay, I see what you're doing here. We'll see if we'll, well, again, like I said before, <laughs> when we talked to Jess Mendoza and you wanted in, you know, we'll have a tryout. We'll do an audition. We'll see if you bring any value and then we'll let you know how it goes. Uh, either way, we're very excited about Say by the Bell and, and you should be too, obviously. And thanks for listening to Spain and Fitz. We'll talk to you tomorrow.